everyone, welcome to The Sanctuary, a safe space to speak from the heart. I'm your host, Israel, and my guest today is the founder, president, and the CEO of SimplyCast, Sahid El Darahali. Thank you so much for coming to The Sanctuary. Thanks, Israel, for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, man. Uh, you know, this. I remember the very first time I saw it was years ago. It was an, at an event um, that... Ice, um, ice. You know, Ice Hands up here. Twenty one, um, yes. was you know had the event, and I was like, oh wow, you know, and it's like you stood out like a beacon of someone that wasn't from here, immigrated here, and then decided to build this life for himself. So, how did this journey start for you to creating Simply Cast? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I actually started uh, as a very young boy in the world of entrepreneurship. Uh, I started a business to sell cotton candy, what a 13, 14 year old uh, boy could could sell back in the uh, back in the day. And right. I basically learned that you know you need to you know generate and support a relationship with your clients, and you know build some some form of trust. And then from there, you're building your business to go and kind of grow. Uh, within six months, I grew into about 150 stores where I had uh, you know my uh, my chocolates and my cotton candy being distributed across these different stores and made you know good amount of money at 13 years old when minimum wage was four dollars and fifty cents um, so it was a it was a great opportunity uh, to kind of build a business from there I joined the Canadian Armed Forces and uh, I was in the army for about five years of my life where I've learned a lot uh, and uh, at one of the uh, you know deployments if you wish that happened with the Canadian Armed Forces was there was a major uh, airliner that went down and it was uh, in Peggy's Cove and it's called the Swiss Air crash oh yeah and, that that, uh, that place yeah 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 Yes, yes. So I was one of the first uh, men on the ground there to support and secure the perimeter on behalf of the Canadian Armed Forces. And I realized that the forces didn't actually have a system to call out the troops because my sergeant at the time basically said, hey, I want you to uh, call three other people to get them uh, to the unit. And I realized that someday, you know, maybe my calling will be to create a system to support, uh, you know, communication and engagement. And uh, when the opportunity presented itself, I decided that, you know, the corporate world is not for me. I really want to focus on developing innovation and technology. And I wanted to create SimplyCast as the all-in-one engagement and communication automation platform for the world to be able to manage any type of use case, a small, medium, large use case, without having to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in implementing uh, the engagement communication automation that's required. Mm, mm. Yeah, communication is really important, especially, you know, in places like that. So um, did you, how long were you in the Air Forces for and, and um, where did you go to next? Yeah, so from there, basically, uh, I joined when I was really young. So I think I was about 16 when I joined. So by the time I finished up, I, uh, I was already in my first year university. I did a Bachelor of Computer Science, uh, Business Administration, HR, and an MBA from St. Mary's University, where I've learned mm -hmm. everything that you can imagine that you need to be a good CEO or a good manager. I never wanted to be a CEO of a company. I've always wanted to be a CTO. Like, I'm a, te I'm a techie. Uh, I look like oh, okay. I, I look like I know what I'm talking about from a business perspective, but I learned that in school and based on you know um, my business ventures. But I've always been a techie, like you know I always wanted to tinker, I wanted to engineer new stuff, I wanted to develop new innovations. My mind is always thinking about how can I make something better. Uh, but mm -hmm. the CEO opportunity kind of presented itself that I can kind of live both worlds: the the area of uh, what I studied in school, what I've learned when I was a young boy, and at the same time have the the flexibility to actually do innovation at the same time. Yeah. So I got it kind of it got married from the CTO to the CEO, but I've always wanted to be a CTO. I would love to continue to be a CTO because a CEO world is really difficult. In what way? Oh, yeah, so a CEO has to deal with, you know, human beings on a day-to-day -day basis. They have to support their employees. They have to support your clients. You have to support the innovation. You have to support the finance team. You have to support the HR team. Um, you have to support your sales team. You have to support your marketing team. You have to create a vision. You have to create a business plan. Um, you know, so if you can imagine the skill set that's required for a CEO, it's somebody that needs to be, you know, live a life of about 100 years to gain the knowledge mm. to be an effective CEO. I was very lucky because I started at a very early early uh, age 
but and I also took education that helped me understand all the elements that a CEO needs to, uh, mm. you know, function in. You know, having an HR background, having a finance background, having an accounting background, having, uh, you know, um, uh, management background, understanding how to deal with uh, with with your employees, understanding the legal system. So all these things that if you take in an education. But for most CEOs, they just they're usually, uh, you know, a tech entrepreneur that came up with a really great idea, but they just don't have the right education. That's why you see a lot of those CEOs eventually having to bring so many people around them just to function mm. because they don't have a clue what to do because they were never taught how to manage a company. Mm. So like um, you said it really early, you know, with the chocolate and the candy. Uh, is that something you got from your family? Like, do you have other entrepreneurs? Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind of the, the only entrepreneur in the family uh, because my family is very much doctors and, uh, you ah. know, uh, researchers. My uncle is a dean of medicine. My my father's an engineer. My mother's a teacher. Uh, my sisters are doctors and, and so on. So the whole family is very much focused on education and medicine. Um, where I'm the only guy that says, you know what, I don't want to deal with medicine. I don't want to deal with, uh, with uh, you know, <laughs> normal human beings. I just want to deal with tickering on, the, on a computer, sitting behind a screen and, you know, uh, in, inventing new code. Because, uh, you know, when a code, you know, has a, has a sickness, you can delete it and open a, open a new line. Uh, but with a human, you have to you have to you have to be very careful because every small right. mistake could could potentially cause uh, you know uh, a potential death uh, in that specific case. So I wanted to kind of be the tinker rather than the you know the the fixer. But the rest of the family is taking care of uh, the human society, <laughs> and uh, yeah. and I wanted to take care of the digital innovation in the future. How did you get into computers then? Like yeah, you know so... you're doing candy. Uh, how did you get into computers? Yeah, so my co my cousin uh, at the age of six, I think, or seven, bought a two eighty six machine, and I used to go over to their house, and uh, he would have this machine, and he wouldn't let me touch it, and I would cry asking if I could access to this machine, and it was very expensive back back in the day, those machines, um, so I understood why he was doing it, but uh, I just became fascinated with the machine, and uh, you know, I kept crying and crying, crying for my father to buy me a small machine, and he did, and I think at the age of seven, I was programming, and I was trying to load up, not programming in the in the name of programming, but programming to create games right because i wanted to be a gamer mm. um and i wanted to develop my own games and back then there was not a lot of games they you could buy a book that tells you how to program a game and i would write pages and pages and pages of, of uh, the game and then when i'm when at the end of it click enter and i didn't know what debugging meant and how to fix code and i would be devastated in the end but by typing all these pages i learned how to program mm -hmm. and then um so you had this machine for a while creating games, um, then, like, I guess, at what point did you see that you could do more than games on this system? Yeah, so this was when I was 16. I asked my parents if I could drop out of, uh, you know, grade 9 and grade 10 because I had these business ideas. Um, and I started, you know, registering domains back in 94, 95. I was on the internet in the early 92. And my, my parents said, you know, Saeed, you know, we're going to disown you if you drop out of school. You know, <laughs> we're, we're, a, we're a family, educated family. You know, we don't right. want our only only son. I'm the only boy in the family. And you understand what that means, right? Right. Um, you know, um, we don't want our son to be seen as a, as a failure because you don't have an education. Mm. You know, you're not going to be able to get married because if you don't, you don't even finish your high school diploma. It's just not going to look good and you never know if business failed and uh, the idea that i came up with back then was a very simple idea and i even you know almost registered the uh, the, the the business when i was 16 and it was uh, and it only came out in 2005 and it was prepaid credit cards oh so, so this i came up with that idea in 96 Mm, and mm, I said to my mm. mom, I said, I don't, I don't need to ever work again. I just have to create this idea, and I think it's going to take off because there's a lot of people that don't have access to credit card. There's kids that don't have access to credit card. And I said, if I can create a prepaid system, uh, that could be a huge, you know, win for the world and for people that didn't have access. And my family was very poor, so my father couldn't get a credit card, for example, in the early days. And a lot of these ideas started formulating. And I said, you know, I could probably do this. And I think it was about 12 years before the first prepaid credit card ever came out. Wow. 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 That, you and know, there's so, lots of ideas, lots of ideas. Right, from there. Like right, I have right, probably, right. I probably have, I used to sit on my desk and I would write ideas. One of the company's names I came up with back in the days was a company, uh, was a domain called Viacom. 
I was going to register because I was trying to put names together, right? And I was right, going to register right. that domain, but I didn't have a lot of money back then. And, uh, mm. you know, every time you register some of those domains, you have to pay for them every year. I, and I'm back then was crazy, crazy money. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, so I, you know, I still look back at some of the ideas I came up with and all of them have turned into very successful businesses, but that doesn't mean anything because anybody can come up with the ideas. It's the execution that matters. So. Right, right. So, you know, you go through school through this, finish with school. Did you like start simply cast while in school or did you no, get a job? No. So yeah. again, I think because, you know, it was, uh, I got married just before I graduated, um, uh, or actually just about uh, just about as I graduated so it was the whole concept of getting a job you know building a home and so on so I actually became a venture capitalist and I got hired through an internship program in the early days so I was an intern when I was in my MBA program and I applied for this uh, basically it was in the daily news we had a, a, a paper in Halifax called the daily news no longer available anymore um, mm. and I was slipping this daily news and there was this little ad in the corner when I was sitting in my MBA lounge at St. Mary's and it says hey hiring uh, you know technology commercialization officers uh, f training for two years and in an internship you'll get to learn about venture capital you'll get to learn about marketing you'll get to learn about intellectual property patenting and I said you know what that's something that they never taught us in school but a CEO or a CTO should know a lot about technology commercialization so I said you know what I will apply the starting salary it was twenty thousand bucks, where my MBA grads uh, were making anywhere between forty to fifty. And mm -hmm. I said to my mom at the time, and uh, and to my family, I'm going to apply for this. It's not a lot of money, but the knowledge I gained in the first two years here would probably help me with literally for the rest of my life. And if I was to get this knowledge, uh, you know, later on, it would probably take me ten to fifteen years to get it because those type of jobs don't come very often. So I applied. 170 people applied for this position for Halifax. And I was the only person in Halifax to get selected for that position. Wow. There was another person, but they dropped out. Uh, but I was the only person to start the internship and complete it um, and only make very, very minimal amount of money. But the knowledge I gained was so powerful that it helped me create a lot of strategy for my companies that I've started ever since. What were some of the things you learned in you know, the years you were in this Sure. Yeah. So how to how to write patents, how to write provisional patents, how to commercialize a license of a technology, uh, how to market a technology company, how to deal with researchers uh, and to allow the support of their ideas to be commercialized how to write grant applications to get access to funding, uh, how to support, uh, you know, how to work in the corporate world, right? Because I actually right. had to work in the corporate world. I had to work in the university world. And if you can imagine how difficult it is to work in the uh, an educational institution, if your mind is always thinking about tinkering and making new changes all the time, right. where, you know, that world is very much, you know, ingrained into, you know, moving at, uh, you know, a very, uh, you know, uh, glacial, process because there's just so many people involved in every step that mm. I think, you know, uh, it takes a huge amount of effort and time to get something out that has changed ever since. I mean, I think the universities have adopted innovation uh, in, a, in, a, in a major way. And a lot of the researchers are also starting up companies and commercializing technology. But in those early days, it was difficult because I was trying to move very fast. Uh, mm. So I think eventually I decided that it's for me to work with the smart people of the educational system, but as a as a as a private corporation where we can work together to get to the endpoint faster. Mm, mm. Cause yeah, you know, I mean, uh, it can be hectic. You have to sign something and then it goes to somewhere else, and then the other person sends it to the other person before you get one thing done. Exactly. And if you want to iterate quickly. By the time you get the permission to do it, you already have three new ideas that potentially need to go through this chain. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's, it's it's you know the education system is really important. Uh, we really need our post-secondary education uh, institutions to support the great minds that they're graduating. But the private mm -hmm. sector needs to move because competition is very fierce out there and it's moving very quickly. Mm. Mm. So you took this uh, you know experience you had at this place and how did you apply it? Yeah, so basically I went and I got picked up by a local organization that was in the world of venture capital where they were doing mentoring, investment, and uh, supporting uh, new startups. So I think at the age of 24, I was a chairman of a board. 
Wow. Uh, because of the knowledge that I've gained over the, the time, I basically looked at close to 1,500 businesses over a five-year period where Holy I analyzed – I analyzed the business, analyzed the financials, I analyzed the story. Uh, you know, I think I saved our organization a number of opportunities where they shouldn't have invested because I did some due diligence that uncovered some things that just weren't not something that we should invest in. Um, mm. You know, we looked at opportunities of expanding our portfolio companies by looking at uh, you know certain parts of uh, their business and how you know other competitors are doing something better that they might be uh, you know should consider so a lot mm -hmm. of pretty much everything I learned since I, I was a young boy I was able to add into my portfolio uh, you know uh, companies and support them and then from there you know I've taken all the knowledge of venture capital the knowledge of technology commercialization and put it into Simplicast and other businesses that I've started ever since mm. and like Simplicast was the very first one right um, I've owned seven businesses, sold six, and still have one. Or actually, two. Uh, and which one was the first one? Uh, so I've like I've there's seven businesses that I can talk about, but Simplicast was started about eleven years ago, mm -hmm. uh, and then Curbza is the second business that started about five years ago or six years ago now. Okay, and then what was your process for starting Simplicast? Yeah, so pretty pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, we wanted to create an all-in-one engagement platform, so we wanted to basically create everything from scratch. So we developed a, a you know a web component um, and basically said to the team that sometime in the next ten years, we need to have twenty-five applications built on a framework that allows everybody to interconnect these technologies using a, a no-coding platform. So somebody like my mother shouldn't actually know how to code, but she should be able to say, I want this to happen when that happens and then this happens when this happens and do this when that happens right so that whole concept um, was actually developed but the thing is I didn't want the technology to be outside of our framework I wanted it all inside of Simplicast so mm. we did what most companies never dreamed of doing is we decided that every component that we needed to interconnect must be actually created by our company rather than connect oh. to the outside world where a lot of right, the right, competitors right. like if else then type organizations they basically tell you hey look we allow you to do all this capability of interconnection but every time you have to trigger something you have to pay somebody some other money Right. Mm -hmm. So if you want to do if you want to do Riverside, uh, you know, for example, webinar, you would have to go buy it from there. But if you want to do emailing, you have to go to MailChimp or you have to go to Constant Contact or you have to go to Simplicast. And if you want to do surveys, you got to go to SurveyMonkey. Then if you want to do events, you got to go to Eventbrite. Then if you want to do this, you got to go there. And then I get, mm -hmm. oh, my God, like, you know, as a small business, I don't have access to go and manage all this stuff. And I need a Ph.D. to make it. And I said, what if I bring <laughs> what if I bring all this stuff? into a single platform and all you do is click 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 you got a survey you got an event you got a webinar you got this you got this and you pay one price and uh, you're keeping all your money in your pocket at the end of the day that mm. concept was very difficult it required a lot of you know engineering to make but we've accomplished it and now we're serving customers pretty much in every industry right right yeah i mean you know because that's true uh if you run any business small medium whatever it is you have different things for different things. Uh, you know, different tasks like, okay, so I'm using this to store my things, but I'm using this to send out the invite, but I'm using this to get the client. So, like, you know, you saw these pain points and you decided to fix it, but it is a massive pain point. Like, I, 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 was there a point where you realized, yeah, I mean, you must have realized the scope of what you were trying to do, right? Yeah, no, that was the vision of uh, when we created the company day one. It has never changed. The business plan oh, has wow. been the same since we started. Uh, and the reason why we've succeeded is that that was the exact point. Like we've had, uh, you know, people that I've spoken to and they said, Saeed, why don't you just focus on one thing only and just do that? And I said, well, the vision of the company was to bring it all together. And mm. unless I do that, I am not interested in running a company like this. And because mm. the vision was I need to create this whole thing together. Because at mm. the end of the day, if you if you build it, they will come and they're coming as now. <laughs> Right, 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 right. Um, how, okay, so the other thing, uh, one thing uh, I think most people, you know, CEOs or just people in general don't consider is the work that it comes to choosing the people in your team. Sure. Um, how much of a part, a role did you play in choosing the people in your team? Like that, that oh, very 100%. first. 100%. Okay. 100%, yeah. yeah. So simply, simply, at Simplicast as a CEO, I only have two jobs. 
make customers happy and bring good employees and coworkers at the company. So I make my employees happy and I make my customers happy. That's pretty much I'm the happy, the chief happy officer of the organization. Mm. I, I focus on my team and my employees. How do you and then and my customers? Right. And then how do you um what was your process for picking the people that you bring into Simply Cast? Um, very simple. Basically, we're, we we don't look at names. We don't look at where you come from. We don't look at all we care about is do you have a passion? You mm. have the so I have I have a metric which is passion for what you want to do, uh, ability to learn, and ability to listen, right? And if you can do these three things, then you are hired, right? Because at the end of the day, if you are really really good at programming, and you program all day long, and that's all you want to do for the rest of your life you're very excited and able to learn something new because at our company we're always doing something new and if you're not willing to learn chances are you're probably not going to be a good fit into our company because we want people that are they have the ability to learn mm. and and if you're not willing to listen as part of our type of organization to what's happening in the market from the client from the competition then you're not really innovating right because you know a lot of people think that they're they come up with the idea it's really the market that comes up with the idea mm. and we're just a custodial you know staff that's making sure that this the whole process uh, is being implemented mm, 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 mm. well you know so you have these people and then how do you retain them right right so our company is very focused on making people happy the minute that they're no longer happy with us, they're not happy with what they're working on, and they're not happy with the industry that they're in, we basically ask them to basically consider other options, and they are telling us that they're going to consider other options. So we see our company as building the opportunity for creating happiness, but if you're not happy, you shouldn't really stay at a company, uh, mm. period, regardless if it's my company or another company. Right. And the only way that we keep people happy is that we treat them with respect. So that's number one. As a human, you have to be treated, uh, uh, you know, with respect at all times. Mm. We have created almost like the 10, 10 commandments in our company where we ask people to, you know, um, we listen to what you have to say. You're not going to get fired if you if you come up with an idea that's even against the CEO. You know, CEO is just another person that that's part of the team. Um, so everybody speaks up. Everybody puts up their hand. If they have a, if they have an issue with the company, they bring it forward. Nobody has fear of, you know, any potential issue that could come up uh, mm. we're all looking to support the client at the end of the day rather than to make the boss happy mm. and i've always said to the team i hate the word boss because you're not working for me you're actually working with me to support my client but we're all working for the client mm. wow you know and i so think that's that changes a, the dynamics right no right that's a different mindset from most you know it's kind of like this hierarchy, like, okay, this is where the box up, this is what you have to do, blah, blah, blah. And like, even, you, you know, where your idea might, might make things a little bit easier, just because it's opposite what the person on top says, yeah, we have to do that thing. And that is exactly. well it shows why you are innovating that's that's a really innovative mindset and like is this all from these experience you built from the air force from starting so early no it's actually most mostly my family my mother um you know because when i came to to halifax as a young boy uh you know i was bullied i was uh, you know uh, called names uh, you name it and i didn't really understand because i didn't speak a word of english when i joined when i came to canada and i never knew what a black person what a white person person and what a what a race is until I came to Canada because my mother has always taught us that you if you have if you have a dollar and somebody needs 50 cents give it give it away right if uh, you see somebody that needs help support them but we never saw like we never had the lens of a race when we were we were because we had you know our next door neighbor was from Africa our um, you know our our uh, you know our uh, babysitter was from Asia um, you know our next door neighbor was Christian another was Jewish right so mm -hmm. when I looked at all this stuff and I like I didn't understand that I thought that's this is the wor the way the world worked mm. uh, and I didn't have an understanding that people saw each other as different races and different people and somebody's better than another and so on so when we came to Canada I realized that you know our upbringing was very supportive of everything so when I created the company I said I'm gonna continue the legacy of how we were taught and how we were raised and this is how I run a company so I even tell my team that I don't see a person as being male female you know or binary non-binary whatever basically a person is an, a, a simply caster so when you join I don't see you as a man or a woman I see you as a simply caster mm. period right 
that you know that when when you know when you have that type of mindset and then you know you're going you're going to a place where you are seen as you are there to deliver what you can to make this company get to you want to like it gives a sense of purpose right exactly exactly and that's why a lot of people have stayed with us for almost 10 to 11 years i have, mm-hmm. I have employees uh and co-workers that have been with us since day one and have not left and i asked them why and they said because look you know we feel that this is our company and we feel like we own it and we feel appreciated and supported and we've never you've never ever said anything that ever to, ever to harm us um mm. even even the way that you manage uh have i had you know arguments with my team 100 percent. have i had people come into my office and scream at me and say said you know we shouldn't be doing this product it just it doesn't work pushing to do it and then i would say look you know just trust me on this there's an opportunity that will come up and then when when the opportunity comes up they come back in the office and say say you know what i do apologize i can see now it's all coming together right mm. because sometimes some people don't see all the connections mm-hmm. um, and you sometimes have to you know support them to understand you know where does these things come and now when my team that have been with me for so many years they're going oh my god everything that you've said 10 years ago is happening Mm, right mm. and when they say that that just kind of you know brings a lot of energy because it kind of shows that you know standing and supporting your team and showing them rather than i need you to do it just because it's because the boss said that you need to do it or saeed says that you need to do it doesn't mean that he's right it's just that he has some more information that you might not right 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 because you know you kind of like have this top-down big um level view of everything and how all the pieces fit um, but, you know, one thing that uh, you mentioned uh, just sparked a question in my mind was opportunity. How do you spot these opportunities, though? Yeah, so I think I think because of uh, the amount of reading that I do on an ongoing basis, like I read a lot every day, um, I'm also kind of looking into the future more than I'm looking at what's happening today. A lot of business people work on the business and they work in the business. I work actually away from the business because I'm trying to look at the future rather than just look at what's happening today. I entrust my team to work on the business. I entrust them to support the elements of the vision, but I'm always kind of looking ahead. Like I'm, I consider myself a futurist and I'm looking at the future but in the in in the um, in the focus with the vision that I've had, so I'm not changing focus of you know, hey, there's an opportunity here. I'm going to stop this and do that. No, it has mm. to fit the vision. So I look at the future and say, what do I think the future is going to is going to do, and what is consumers and b- businesses and governments and you know uh, Federal Reserve is going to do in the future? And I kind of bring it back to now and say, how could I capitalize on why? Uh, the pandemic was an example where you know as soon as the pandemic hit. We basically created a new section inside of our business and said, okay, now we could take all the different opportunities of COVID and turn them into a use case without having to implement a single line of code. Mm. And some, and a lot of my team said, well, why are we doing this? We're not in the business of COVID. I said, we're in the business of communication and engagement. And COVID just happens to have a lot of communication needs, like booking a vaccine, like, uh, you know, canceling. Uh, the, second, the second dose, you know, over 10 to 15% might not take the second dose. So there might be an education campaign that you want to do. Contact tracing is another thing that you could do using our technology. So anything there's engagement, communication, um, there's an opportunity that Simplicast could basically jump in. But the minute that the, uh, you know, the pandemic even, you know, even the discussion of Wuhan and China, um, I actually started planning our company to shut down and have everybody work from home. And as early as Feb of 2020, we actually had half of our team beginning to move out before the lockdown even started about a month before. Yeah, I remember seeing that post on LinkedIn, and this was like kind of early days. I was like, "What is he doing?" <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so you but, know, but you were right. You were right. Right, you were yeah. right. So I you mean, you could right. you could you could see certain things happening, but so kind of trying to predict based on trends and information you can make intelligent decisions and then you need to protect your company and your employees because they entrusted Mm -hmm. me as the leader to protect them and all i'm doing is protecting their families and protecting them and uh so far you know we we have uh supported our team to work from home we still got our iso certifications we still operate 100 percent productivity for our customers our customers are happy we're doing everything that we can do for them so and that takes a lot of planning and it's better to plan rather than to have to make a decision just because somebody else like government made a decision on your behalf and say you're locking down tomorrow well what do i do now it's too late right Mm, mm, mm. i really i recall you know you put up 
it was a post. It was just a short post on LinkedIn. And then things were just kind. That was even before the very first lockdown. And, you know, uh, people were still working because it was like, uh, it's happening way, way at the other side of the world. Um right. And I'm, I'm like, okay. And then a couple of weeks, it wasn't even up, you know, just a few weeks later, we all had to shut down. So it's like, you were prescient when that came. And I guess it's all looking at all these trains and being a futurist that you see. So like you set up Simply Cast, you have the framework where you can build on top of. What is Cobza? Yeah, so Cobza is basically a, a digital peer to peer marketplace that allows you to develop any type of marketplace that you can imagine. Uh, so, for example, think of a community. Uh, a community today is very much focused on, you know, m sharing things that are very community based. You could do some of these things easily uh, using different parts of the software. Some components of it, like communication, could happen within within Facebook. But there's never been a thought of bringing a peer-to-peer -peer communication that is secure and focused on a specific community. So let's say you're from Nigeria, and you want to bring the Nigerian community together, where they know what businesses, like very similar to the ISANS marketplace, but you only want Nigerian businesses to promote the services that they're offering. They also want to maybe share certain recipes that are very local, but you want to do it within the Nigerian community in Nova Scotia. You want to say, you know, hey, you have certain additional dresses that you have, right? And 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 wares that you have, but no, the larger community probably will not be interested in them, but mm. your Nigerian community would. How do you do that today easily, right? And create that community sense. It does not exist. Curbza is mm. going to allow the Nigerian community to create that level of, you know, security and capability of allowing the Nigerian culture, which, you know, in Canada, we we, we, we have a pride in mo a mosaic where every culture can co coexist within the Canadian culture. But there's just yeah. not a way to organize very easily to support the Nigerian, you know, community in a way that they feel that they're part of it. Certain videos that you want to share only for kids that people can approve. You can't do that easily today, right? And organize all these things in a single hub. So Curbs is going to able, be able to do that. Very shortly, Curbs is going to be launching the world's first PPE marketplace where local businesses, uh, governments, and organizations are going to be able to launch you know, an opportunity to figure out who has access to PPE. Local vendors are sitting on a, on, a, on a massive amount of PPE and they can't really get it out because nobody knows it exists in the local community. Uh, we know that nurses actually had, to, you know, in the past had some issues with finding PPE. Using our technology, you're, you're able to click a button and actually say, oh, Israel actually has this many masks and Saeed, another local vendor, has 100,000 masks. He doesn't need them. We can actually go and, and purchase them, for, even though he's not in the PPE space, but he's willing mm. to give up his PPE for another community to benefit because there's a, an emergency going on. And allowing right. that peer-to-peer -peer capability to happen, where it could be commerce, it could be just uh, donations, it could be, hey, my business doesn't need, you know, I'm working from home now, but I have six jugs of sanitizers sitting in my office <laughs> that I don't need. Yeah. But I know another yeah. business that's essential needs it well guess what mm. it's available it's locked and i would like to put it on the network to give it away if i want to or recover my cost so there's opportunity of these capabilities that of network of networks are available but nobody has thought of that type of framework and i've been thinking about this for the last probably 10 years and curbs is making that happen today mm. so so like how um i guess is it built specifically or do people you do you kind of have to sign up on Cobza or it's like i guess Cobza is this hub and then little yeah, you you basically you you come up with the with the network that you want you register oh. and then you configure it to the needs that you have so if you want to configure it for ppe it will be configured for ppe if you want to convert configure it for the community so i think that's the next 20 years of the internet I've been dreaming about and I think the world is starting to move in that uh, you see the attack is coming down on the worlds of Facebook where the young people are really interested in Instagram mm. they're interested you know there's groups that are happening in WhatsApp but you can't really organize it in a, in a simple way and I've come up with a way to make all these things organized so simple that anyone can create a community and supporting the network of networks of the future 
Mm. So that's another thing I'm guessing community. Is that something also that came from, you know, your mom growing up in that type of community you grew up in? No, I mean, I think, you know, you know, so like I'm part of multiple communities, right? Uh, every board that I sit, every board that I sit on is another community. Mm. Right. ISANS is a community. I'm part of the Black Business Initiative. That's a community. Um, you know, Dartmouth North is a community on its own. Right. Um, you know, Halifax, uh, Halifax South is a community. So even geographically, you've you got a community. Postal code, you got a community. Right. And, you know, when I go out and walk in the park in my little area, I see people every single day that I see every time I walk. That is a community. Right. And there's these little associations that are part of our little kitty, for example. So the world has been kind of developed into communities, but nobody has thought about a way to organize them in a simple way. And I wanted to be, to be that person. And I've been mm. investing heavily in that technology to get it to the point, but it has taken almost seven years or six years just to do the research and the build out of this concept, because it's not something that's easy to do. So patience is something that is very important for you and for your company. Yeah, so I mean, you know, Thomas Edison um, basically went through a thousand light bulbs um, for, for him to figure out the one light bulb that's going to work and potentially, uh, you know, light up the world. Um, does he have patience? Well, he's an inventor because he was on a mission to find the light bulb, right? Mm. Um, I'm on a mission to find community support uh, within Curbza and uh, communication automation and engagement for SimplyCast. Mm. And my, my life mission in the end is to end youth unemployment. Great you mentioned that um, because something you do pretty much every year is to have like an intern come to yes. work with one of Absolutely. your companies. Uh, I mean, you've pretty much answered that question. I was going to ask, why was that important? Why is youth employment important? So uh, Yeah, so in the, early, in, the, in the early days when I tried to get a job and even though I was still, you know, in university, the employers were asking both for co-op and for normal work, they were asking for a year to two years experience. And I said, look, I'm only 19 years old. Where am I going to get, even though I had a lot of experience, you know, starting up companies and so on, they just didn't see any experience in the workplace because mm. I was always working for myself in that. So they didn't see that as, as proper experience. And mm. uh, I basically made a promise that if I ever started a company in the future that's going to be big, I'm going to hire as many co-ops as we can, and I'm going to set my life mission to end youth unemployment in Nova Scotia and eventually in Canada. Um, so, so far, I think I've hired close to 500 interns over the last 11 years across mm. all the organizations that I'm part of. So, so I'm very proud of that. And uh, this year, I'm hoping to get up to 100 interns across. And I think I'm already down to like almost 68 uh, wow. interns to go before the end of the year. And I don't think that's going to be a, a hard number. I might miss it by maybe five or 10, but I'm going to do my best to get as many as I can in there. Yeah, no, everything you do is mission driven. Correct. Um, but so there's Cubs and Simply Cast, but you mentioned you sold some of your other companies. Uh, um, why did you start them? Why did you decide to sell? Yeah, so when I created them, it was more to support my family. My parents didn't work as immigrants. Uh, they had a very difficult time coming to Canada. Nobody would hire them. Uh, they, even my father went to community college to study. You know, Even though he was a civil engineer, he studied plumbing just to get a job. And then he couldn't even find an internship at his age because people saw him as over the age of 50 and they didn't mm. want to give him a chance, right? He worked for a few weeks with a plum another plumbing company locally and after a few weeks they let him go because they said, you know, he's moving a little slower than average, right? So that became mm. very difficult. So I started buying, you know, uh, businesses and establishing businesses where my family could work. Um, you know, we owned a, a small, you know, laundromat in the early days, for example, where my mother, myself, and my sisters worked when we were going to junior high and high school so these types of organizations that i kind of created was almost you know we were forced to do it because uh, otherwise uh we wouldn't have been able to live the you know the life that we wanted to live mm. um the cotton candy business was the same i had a consulting business i worked probably you know uh, 60 to 70 hours while going to school full-time to support my four sisters um so i was kind of pretty much since i was 14 i was the guy that's bringing in money to the family to support them and have a life my parents never owned a home i bought our, i bought my first home when i was 18 i bought my second home when i was 23. with such a responsibility like did it ever feel too much too heavy 
Oh, every day, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, I am human at the end of the day, and there's just there's a lot of responsibility uh, every single day since I was probably 14. But I probably wouldn't live a live another life. That, you know, I wouldn't want my life to be any different. Um, um, uh, I probably have taken all the energy that I used to put in and now have put it into volunteerism over the last 11 years. So I was on nine boards, for example, uh, running, you know, this company and chairing the other company, um, have five kids at home, right? Uh, you know, a beautiful wife and family um, and various others, right? So it just feels like every single day I am fulfilling a mission because at the end of the day, people live for themselves. I want to live for us, right? Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of people focus on one thing that they want to consume and they want to have material goods. At the end of the day, we're only on this earth for one thing is to support others and, and create a peaceful, uh, you know, uh, coexistence across the board. And that's why, why I'm here and this is what I'm doing. And the skills that I've gained, I feel that because my mother was a teacher, my father was an engineer, that we're here to, you know, bestow the knowledge that we've gained from others to on, onto others. So... That's why I do a lot of mentoring because I feel that knowledge that I've gained should always be passed to others. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, you know that that's something my grandma always says. She's like, "We're all here to take care of each other." And I, I remember growing up, I'm being like, "We don't have food, and you're giving other people like you know as a kid." Uh, sure. But like now, being grown up, it makes sense. Like I can see clearly now. Like when you it's it's a wonderful circle right you give right. it comes back to you tenfold um and exactly. you're doing all these things um how do you relax when you do even find time to relax um you know for me relaxation is basically you know this is a relax a relaxing session <laughs> right so i'm relaxing right now when i go to right. lunch and have a business meeting that's relaxation for me uh, i go fishing with my kids that's relaxation um yeah. you know the last three days i went for a walk for an hour with my wife and we just talked about things we had our kid on a bike that's relaxation so i see relaxation not so much as a vacation but as mm. time to spend with someone else right like you know uh, my my son the other day says hey dad go for a drive together I said, let's go, right? And then grandpa says, hey, you took your son. Maybe you should take me out as well. Right? <laughs> I said, no problem. Okay, how about you and I go out tomorrow? And then my daughter right. says, hey, dad, can we go out to, you know, can you drive me and pick up some ice cream? Sure, let's do that. So, yeah. you know, uh, so you have all these. And then I have other friends that call me up. Hey, Saeed, you want to go for wings? This is kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, something that we do every every once in a while. And mm. I have another friend that I haven't seen in three years. He'll call me up and say, hey, you want to go, you know, you want to you wanna go and sit on the porch? I said, sure, let's, let's do that every once in a while so i don't actually plan it i let kind of the world kind of do its thing and mm. if i'm available and i'm there you know somebody calls me up says hey do you have five minutes to chat sure i consider mm. that so i try not to plan my my life because you know at work all i do is plan right, <laughs> so when, right when i come when i come home i ask even my wife says she says you don't want to plan anything i said yes because i want you to plan you're the boss you know <laughs> i i'm i plan things at work i want you to plan my life at home Right, 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 right. You you mentioned something uh, I wanted to touch on just a little bit. The mentoring you do, how do you choose the mentees and what do you expect from them? Yeah, so they choose me. So mm -hmm. like my email is filled literally on a daily basis. People looking for work, people need help. Uh, you know, I had people that, uh, you know, through iSANS, through BBI, uh, pretty much all the networks on, on LinkedIn. So people come to me and say, say can, can, can I get help with X? And I would always say, look, uh, I would definitely give you the time. Let's do it on Saturday because I don't have time during the week. So I just, I don't say no to anyone if I, if I can help them. Um, I don't give them a dedicated, so I don't actually mentor somebody on a dedicated basis because I don't have mm. the time on a dedicated basis, but I take my breaks. Like, you know, let's say right now, rather than take my lunch, I've, I'm, I'm taking the opportunity to chat with you. So I see that right. as a, as a, as an opportunity to, you know, talk to you, but whoever potentially will watch this potentially might be getting right. a, a mentoring opportunity. So I see this as a, I am getting a lot. I am getting a lot. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank so, you so and, much. Yeah, so and I, you know, I I chat with my team every day. I try to mentor them, check in on them. So you know, it's just it's it's the minute that you think, and I've heard this probably like six years ago, is when you when you reach the top, send the elevator down. So mm. I keep thinking like I, you know, I've reached the top of my career as a, as an individual in my mind. I've satisfied all the things that I want to do. Now it's time to give everything that I've learned back to the community. Mm, 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 mm. 
Oh, Saeed, thank you. I'm going to let you go because I'm taking so much of your time. But No, no, um, take your time. No worries. I want to touch two things. Um, the, the, so I remember going, um, to iSense and then to sign in, it was different. You use this quick QR code. And then, uh, while we we're talking the other day, I found that, you know, the contact tracing that's pretty much in all of the HRM or even more, it's coming from Simply Cast. Right. Um, this is something you saw, you know, when the tragedy happened and there was right. no means of communication. Now that we're here, um, right. wh- what do you think is going to happen or what do you think we should be looking for in the next 10, 20 years? In which area? Because there's a lot of different areas. Communication, so. communication. Oh, communication. Absolutely. So I think I think people are sick and tired of getting messages that are not personalized. Um, I, you know, we're bombarded using all these different messages, the WhatsApp, the Instagrams, and people are just consuming stuff, but they're consuming it to kill time. And eventually they're going to get to the point where they're going to realize that I need to consume things that's going to benefit me as a person rather than just look at what others are doing. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. this whole society of this person bought a car, this person bought a house, this person did this, this person did that. Uh, I think eventually society will start seeing the opportunity. What is it? How am I going to be able to support what I want as a person? And how am I going to give back to others? And this is why Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about Curbza as the future of engagement from a peer-to-peer perspective. And I believe that has already started. You, I can see my kids do it, are doing it. I can see the future of technologies beginning to look at people that want communities, right? Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a, a huge growth of uh, individual uh, that are living on their own and not able to communicate with society because, you know, these groups are being formed and there's a lot of people being left out. So I think there's an opportunity to create a much better system to allow communities to flourish and for these opportunities to, to become growth-based. From a communication mm-hmm. perspective, uh, individual, individual, more AI-focused um, uh, you know, approach becomes, I am thinking of ice cream and... I'm going to let you know within the next, within a mile from here, there's an ice cream parlor that you should consider. And based on your preferences, you want to support small business and rather than support a franchise, right? So the system of learning about you based on the way that you want to build it and communication becomes more responsive to your needs rather than the normal push of marketing that we're we are used to where hey you know mcdonald's has a you know a, a, a 9, 9.99 uh, family uh, meal well i don't have a family. why are you telling me about a family meal because i'm not going to buy a family meal right so mm. it, th- that level of communication and engagement will change based on truly what you want rather than the what the you know, what the masses need and that will trigger, you know, opportunities where, you know, eventually you're going to see things that are embedded in your in your brain in the next 20 years. And that's already happening, right? Uh, you know, AI will focus on um, rather than driving, you're going to have autonomous cars. You just get into a vehicle. You're not going to have cars anymore. You just have these cars that you can call when you need it. And then the car gets there, picks you up and drop where you need to. So you're not going to have drivers. You're going to. It's going to change the way we get educated. Pandemic has expedited the process from 10 years down to two years. So the world of digitization is just going to become explosive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, c- certain industries will will be eliminated, and new industries will pop up, right? And the world will will become a lot more autonomous in how we function. But certain mm-hmm. emerging markets will still be ahead of us compared to, you know, or you know, uh, advanced, uh, you know, uh, economies because they have less risk in starting with new technologies. Where existing oh. advanced economies have a lot of infrastructure, like you know, like right. the U.S. and Canada and so on. So it's going to take us a little longer to do that complete shift. But some uh, emerging uh, markets will move much faster than we are, and I think. Uh, there's going to be a bit of a shift in uh you know uh the powers to be in the future okay uh okay i I, i'm gonna let you go with this question side and you know based on what you're saying right you know 10 20 years ago when you're in school 
um, getting all these different types of education from school, from life, from uh, running businesses. Right. All those things kind of led you to where you are now. Based on what you're seeing, we are looking at in the next 20 years, communication-wise, and business in a way, like, you know, cars that don't have drivers. What advice would you give to the audience to, like, you know, prepare for what the future will look like? Yeah, so it's actually a very simple and, uh, you know, less advice is focus on what humans need. Oh. If you can, if you can think of what human needs, uh, they're going to need healthcare. They're going to need to eat. They're going to need to socialize. They're going to need to basically reproduce, right? They're going to need to uh, communicate. So if you focus on what humans need, no matter what happens, humans are going to continue to exist on Earth. Even if Elon Musk sends us off to, to Mars, right? Um, humans still need to brush their teeth. They still need, you know, hygiene. So all the things that humans need, no matter how advanced technologically we get, those basic human needs are going to still be available. And mm. there's always going to be innovation. Um, what we're being taught right now is convenience. You know, we don't have to go to meetings. We can do Zoom calls. Uh, we don't have to, you know, to the store. We can call Uber. But eventually some people will have these they'll see it as the norm and then the world will shift back again to say you know what i don't want to always be at home i want to go out so you're going to get this constant shifting of cycles and that's how we live right you know we, we started walking across the desert walking across the fields then all of a sudden we said we want to get to the other end faster let's create let's get on a horse Okay, well, now we need to go a little faster. Let's create a car. And then now we need to go a little faster. Well, I'd like to go back and walk in the field again because it's so nice to walk in the field, right? So you're going to get this kind of shifting where some people will start shifting away from being in the technological hub because they just mm -hmm. want to no live a normal day-to-day -day life. But they still have the opportunity where they can take it. So we're going to have this constant shifting back and forth no matter what we do. And that's that's what creates a good economy and a good you know support system because as we innovate, uh, humans still have to coexist unless we're changing everybody into a robot which i don't think is gonna happen right right oh my god say so, hey, that was just that, i i can't get enough time with you i think we have to do this again and like i'm sure. i'm like you know i wanted to know more about you more about simply cast but now I think you should add philosopher to your titles because of how... I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Because <laughs> of how, you know, forward-thinking you are. I, I want to say thank you so much for the time. And thank, thank you. Thank you so much for coming to this sanctuary. I'm really, really, really grateful. Thank you, Israel. I really appreciate it. And it's a pleasure to see you again and uh, be part of your show. All the best. Mm -hmm.